last week we um, had a look at various passages that help us to begin to understand what are the different aspects of ministry. And um, I think we saw that ministry, the subject of our ministry is the body of Christ. Um, we saw that ministry is done by the enabling of the Holy Spirit through the gifts that he gives, through the gifts that he gives, um, and through the strength that he gives. And uh, we also saw that the motivation for our ministry, really the ground in which our ministry flourishes is love. And um, if we do not have love, um, we, it's difficult for us to engage in ministry. And, um, you know, without necessarily thinking about different activities, ministry is really an expression of love to the body of Christ. Um, we didn't really come to a concise definition of what ministry is, and hopefully we'll get there today. But first of all, I want us to, oh, one other thing we, we saw last week was that um, your involvement in ministry is an indication of whether you are in the faith or not. Um, if you do not care to serve God's people, it's probably because you're not one of them. Uh, today, I want us to consider briefly how we prepare our hearts for ministry. Um, then we look at how we can define ministry more concisely. So it might seem like it's on its head, but hopefully it will make sense as we go along. Now, could someone please read for us Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24? Anyone? Yes, yes, Alex. Matthew 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will devote to one despise the other. You cannot serve God and 
yeah, you cannot solve God and money. Um, someone please read for us Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, 5, who today, therefore, what is ugly in his sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, if our ministry is an expression of service, of love and service, uh, to the Lord and therefore to his people we are going to have to make a choice whether we will serve the Lord or we will serve other things sweet First point I'd like us to consider today is that for us to be effective in ministry, um, we'll have to rid our lives of idols. Yeah. Uh, now, I hope I'll help us to understand in the course of today's class that God does bless us, yeah? And it is, and his blessings are good. But we can set our affections on God's blessings in the wrong way and they become idols. And when they become idols, our capacity to minister to others is necessarily compromised, okay? Um, one of the reasons why we are not effective in ministry, we are not passionate about ministry, is because there are idols in our lives. So I was helped in these considerations by an article by John Piper. I'll just go through some uh, checklists that we can use to examine ourselves and see if there's idols in our hearts. And then hopefully you guys can also help help me in these considerations, yeah? How do we know that something, either that is in our possession or that we desire, is an idol? I would say one is if it is outrightly a sinful desire, okay? Um, are you desiring something that God has forbidden, like another man's wife, or another man's ox or donkey, whatever, you know, that God has forbidden. Does that desire or that object lead us to sin? Does it cause us to be proud 
or does it cause us to disobey? You know? um, it's okay, I think, to drive whatever car you want, but if it makes you, um, if you're constantly breaking speed limits because of it, you know, maybe it's time to cut off the right eye, gouge out the right eye that causes to sin, cut off the right hand that causes to sin. Is it an inordinate desire, you know, an all-consuming desire that numbs us to other things? Does it make us discontent with what God has given us? You know, um, I remember <clears throat> a brother telling me, you know, we, we admire flowers, we admire clouds, and we admire cars and women on the street. Yeah? They're all God's creation. I don't think so. Yeah. If you find yourself in traffic constantly looking at cars, you know, wow, that's a nice one. That's a nice one. You know, maybe God will bless me with this one someday. It could be that there's idolatry in your heart. Yeah. Or <clears throat> you're always on some online platform looking at the newest technology, the newest phone, the latest gadget, this or that. You know, possibly there's, there's a need for you to check your heart. There might be idolatry in your heart. Are you willing to give up whatever blessing or the expectation of blessing? Are you willing to give it up? Either by sharing it with others or by losing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. When somebody asks me, what is your dream car? I like to say, I don't dream about cars. And it's not, it's, not, it's not always been that way. It's not always been that way. Um, but yeah, uh, we have dreamed this, dreamed that, dreamed the other. You know, we have got aspirations, plans for ourselves that may indicate um, there's something other than God that we want to worship. And we find we may find that um, it's, it may not be something that you have in your hand, but just the prospect that you might not the trajectory of your life may not end up may not lead you there gives you anxiety. You know that could be an indication of idolatry in your heart. Do you hide from God to indulge in that desire, in that pleasure? You know. Is this something you can pray for? Is this something you can give thanks to God for and sing in gratitude for? Can you give thanks to God and praise his name while clocking 150 kilometers per hour on the highway, um, enjoying a nice turbocharged car? Can you say, praise the Lord, you know, breaking the law, but this thing is just fantastic. Um, is it done in love 
you know, the Bible tells us to do everything in love. Do you consider? I mean, we have freedom. Yeah, you can live anywhere, buy land anywhere you want, build whatever kind of house you want, buy whatever phone you want, buy whatever clothes you want. But do you consider what the impact of your decision is on other believers? Yeah. Or do you just do it because you can? Um, are you the focus on your, when it comes to your enjoyments? So, I mean, maybe you, you, you call yourself a sweet tooth. That's fine. You, you love to eat sugary stuff. That's good. It's okay. But do you ask yourself, if you get diabetes in a few years' time, what will it do to your family? You know, so if we examine ourselves, we'll find that many of us in different ways are prone to idols. And the Bible encourages us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's not an exhortation to some of us. It's an exhortation to all of us because we are prone to um, idolatry. And to the extent that we yield ourselves to idolatry, we hinder our, our capacity to minister to others. Now, could someone please read for us Matthew 6, from 25 to 34? Matthew 6, 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Johnny. So this is a form of idolatry that is more subtle. We think it is justifiable, okay? 
So, um, you know, the when times are good or just normal, you know, we've got aspirations for, you know, the kind of meal I want to eat, the kind of clothes I want to wear, the kind of um, house, neighborhood I'd like to live in, the kind of car I'd like to drive, phone I'd like to own. But sometimes, all these expectations are taken away by circumstances, and we find ourselves on uh, surviving on bare minimum, you know? And uh, that's when survival instinct instincts begin to kick in. And we find ourselves um, worrying about just where the next meal would come from. Not even about what kind of meal it is, but just will I be able to eat tomorrow? Will I be able to pay rent, you know? And at that point, when it's been stripped of all other idols, the last idol standing is self. You know, it's what Job, uh, the devil said to the Lord about Job. So he took away all his wealth, and Job stood firm. Then what did Satan say? Skin for skin, a man will give all he has, yeah, for his own body. Um, and many times we find ourselves there, don't we? Um, maybe you've been stopped by a traffic police officer and there's a prospect of spending your entire day in some overcrowded, dingy cell, some police station. And the instinct is to have a conversation, you know, the kind of conversation that uh, we have with police officers, eh? Um, what about work situations? If I don't do this, I will not keep my job. I'm not going to say the things that we are meant to do to keep our jobs. I think we, we know them. Um, but usually, we find it easier to justify uh, idolatry because we say it's necessary you know I was pushed to the edge like you know to my shame to my shame I've given bribes to traffic police officers and I used to justify it by saying look this is extortion I mean the guy gave me no choice he tells me let's drive around we get to the entrance of the police station uh, and he says, no, let's take another route. So we go around and round and round and round and eventually say, this guy doesn't want to charge me, doesn't want to let me go. What do I do? No, I don't have a choice, man. I have to give him something. You know? Um, and that's how we justify. But that is still idolatry. Because the Lord Jesus Christ calls us not just to give up all that we have, but to give up even ourselves. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began, begin to mourn, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Um, again, let me encourage us. We will not be useful. We will not be effective in our ministry to others. We will not be impactful in our ministry to others unless we are willing to die. Yeah. Unless we are willing to do the irrational, what seems to be nonsensical to the world for the sake of Christ. Any comments so far or questions? Okay. As you're loading, let's go to the next point. So the first um, area of preparation for ministry is reading our lives of idols. The second one is cultivating Let me call it love. Cultivating fellowship with God. First, with the Lord, and then with the saints. Yeah, so let me read for you a passage that we, we think it's a familiar passage, we all know it, from Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, as they were on the way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, 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 do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is going to be a, uh, especially a good encouragement for those who are in ministry. Now, we are all in ministry, but you understand what I'm saying, yeah? There are some of us who are considered to be more in ministry than others. And the encouragement here is that ministry itself can end up being an idol. Yeah. And then that becomes a hindrance to ministry. The greatest thing we can do in our lives is to love God. And the second greatest thing we can do is to love people. Everything that we do in our Christian lives flow from that and lead toward that. Okay? If not, you are living for secondary causes. Okay? Love is the greatest cause. 
loving God and loving people. If you live for any other reason, you're living for secondary causes. And yet, many times our ministry is an idol. We are more concerned about activities than we are with persons. Now, please help me to think, how does Martha here, how, how do we see Martha making, um, or what are the things that indicate Martha's ministry is becoming an idol in her life? Anyone? Okay, let me start you off. One of the ways you know your ministry activities are becoming an idol is when your activities deny you time in God's presence and deny you time to fellowship with other people. Okay? If you're so busy with ministry activities that you don't have time to pray, if you're so busy with ministry activities you don't have time to be in the Word, or you're in the Word because you're preparing for a sermon, okay? You're preparing for a Bible study, preparing to teach others, but not to nourish your own soul. It's possible that your ministry activity is an idol. And I think... Oh, sorry. Do I need to raise, to raise my voice so that it makes it easier for you, or you okay? You okay, okay, good. Um, I think it's an encouragement um, to especially church officers, deacons, and also our elders. It's possible to let the tyranny of the urgent overwhelm, overwhelm us, and we find ourselves you know, running, putting out fires here and there. And we don't have time to um, go to a desolate place to recharge, to pray, you know. I'm always encouraged by the Lord's uh, sensibilities in ministry. You know, he spends almost an entire night healing people uh, at, in Peter's village. And then in the morning, he goes somewhere desolate to pray. And people come looking for him because they want miracles. And the disciples find him and say, um, Lord, everyone is looking for you. What does Jesus say? I mean, if it was me, I would have called for some tents, some huge ones, or some caterers, and started a, a, a healing crusade, you know, a three-day healing crusade. You know, what does Jesus say? Let us go to other towns, for I must preach there also, for this is why I came. And he walks away. I mean, he walks away from ministry, a ministry opportunity. Imagine, a crowd shows up, they want you to minister to them. They want you to exercise your gift to minister to them, you know. And yet, Jesus has the sensibility to say, you know what, <clears throat> you guys go as you are, you know, as they say in the military. Just go back to your activities. I know what I came to do. I have another mission, and I'm heading off to it. So may the Lord help us, those of us who find ourselves in any, serving in any capacity, not to permit ministry activities to rob us 
of our time, um, of the opportunity to spend intimate time with the Lord and with his saints. <clears throat> you know, it's possible to slap a needy brother with money so that he just gets off, the, off your face, yeah? Um, it's not like you really care or want to, to know how he's doing. You know, um, the guy has some financial need, give him the money, get off my face. Or how do we approach a brother who has not been in church for a while? Do you accost him with a demand? You know, how come you haven't been coming to church? Or do you ask him, hey, brother, how are you doing? You know, it could be the guy has been starving in his house for a few days, for some days. He wasn't able to come to church. Do uh, you just demand that this conformity to the activities, the activity of attending church, or do you actually care for the brother? Do we, um, at the end of a Sunday, do we ask ourselves, have we met with God? Have we fellowship with the saints? Have, we, have I encouraged a brother? Have I been encouraged by a brother? Or do you pat yourself on the back, I've attended four meetings. Um, I'm doing well. How else do we see um, Martha, Martha's activities being idolatrous? Or generally, how can we know that our ministry is becoming an idol? From Martha's attitude. Anyone? Exactly. Yeah, you know, um, so Martha fails to see what the point of her ministry is, okay, and that's what contributes to anxiety. When we fail to see that the point of ministry is to allow others to draw near to God, we are concerned more about the activities than that the fact that people are being drawn to God. So, if Martha wanted, I mean, Martha should have realized that she's facilitating, you know, fellowship with Christ. There is Mary enjoying fellowship with Christ already, yeah? But she's absolutely anxious because she's thinking that it's her facilitation that is going to draw everyone to Christ. Um... And we have the same temptation, you know, we face the same temptation. Um, it's not a particular activity that we do that makes our ministry acceptable. I mean, we really appreciate the media team, you know, the guys handling sound, the camera, or the music team. But you know, you can do that stuff because you're just good at it, yeah? You can do the sound because you're just good at sound. I mean, you can even do sound in a club. Uh, you can do video in a corporate event. You can do it in church. You can sing in a club. You can sing in church. Yeah. Um, the point of our ministry 
is to draw people to Christ. And so our attitude in ministry, whatever you're doing, whether it's the camera there, whether it's the sound, whether it's the singing, our heart attitude is, are people being drawn to the Lord? And if that is happening, and if it's happening without our particular ministry activity, you know, it's fine. It's okay, you know. Um, another way that we, just following up with that, is when we think our ministry is indispensable. In, or that we, not, not, not the office or the activity, but our engagement in that activity is indispensable, you know. When we expect, like Martha, to be recognized, when we expect other people to be doing what we are doing. And you know, actually, there's so many cults that have um, been spawned by people having some religious experience and being used of the Lord in a particular way. And then they expect that everyone who's spiritual must be serving in that particular way. You know, so we have to be really careful not to put ourselves, not to exalt ourselves and expect um, others to recognize us or others, or to measure the effectiveness of other people's ministry or others, other people's spiritual state by our particular ministry activity. You know, I'm sure many of us have at some point said, you know, I love chapati, I love coffee, I love this or that. How many of us have ever said to the Lord in prayer, the psalmist, I love you, O Lord? Have you ever said that to the Lord? You know? How many of us can say with the psalmist, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight? How many of us can say that? The goal of our faith, brothers, is love. Ministry flows out of intimacy with the Lord and intimacy with others, you know. Otherwise, the very people we are serving become a hindrance to our ministry. You know, it's like um, you, you get irritated with the very same people you're supposed to be ministering to. Tell someone, you know, get out of my face. I need some space to serve you, man. Um, and that's, that's a bad place to be. That's a bad place to be. Sometimes it's better to pray fewer, hour, fewer minutes or hours if you're the kind of guy who prays hours and just hang out with a brother. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's okay to put aside that ministry activity and just find out how our brother is doing. The goal, again, brothers, is love. If that goal is not being achieved, then our particular activity, ministry activity, um, ends up being a waste of time. Now, God is still able to use it, but then you'll have no reward from him. All right, I see our time is going quickly. Now, what is ministry? So let's try and define ministry. 
So how do we prepare for ministry? We read our hearts of idols. We cultivate intimacy with the Lord and with the saints. But what is this ministry that we keep talking about? Um, can somebody please read for us 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11? Pastor Burungi read for us last week, but he can just review it. Anyone? First Peter four seven to eleven. Oh, Mike. First Peter four seven to eleven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since the love since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's varied grace who whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of god whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that god supplies that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Great. So, can somebody attempt a definition of ministry from that passage? I'll focus on verse from verse 8 to, to 11. Okay, the entire passage. Can someone attempt a definition of ministry? What do you think ministry is? Okay, it's a cold morning. <laughs> um, let me attempt a definition, yeah? Ministry is service flowing, flowing from love enabled by God's gifts what we what the word he uses Okay, so ministry is service to the saints, flowing from love, enabled by God's gifts, and its effect is that it imparts God's grace. Okay, now, what is a gift from verse 10? Can someone define what a gift is? Yes, yes, uh, Mark. A gift is something that you have 
received. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yes. Yes. Expect to be a good steward of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, yes. You've received it and you've stored it. Um in this case, yeah, you have received it from God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. Now and what is its what is its function in verse ten? It's to serve others. Sorry? Uh-huh. Yes, it's to serve one another. Serve one another. How? As as towards of God's very grace. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, good, good. I was, exp- I was, I wanted you to go the whole way. So, a gift is simply any capacity to steward God's grace. Okay, any capacity to steward God's grace. Uh, so, when you talk about spiritual gifts, it's not speaking in tongues, working miracles. Yeah, it's any capacity to steward God's grace. Now. Can somebody define for me God's grace? Anyone? 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 It's not a trick question. What is God's grace? <laughs> wow. Yes, yes, uh, Jomak. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Good. All right. Grace is unmerited favor. Are we in agreement? Good. Now, can someone give me examples of merited favor? Okay, we've said grace is unmerited favor. So I want us someone to give me examples of merited favor so that we can isolate grace more clearly. Anyone? Yes, 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 Johnny. An example of favor that we merit from God. Receive from God. Yes. Let me think about it. <laughs> He's given up. Anyone else wants to try? Favor that we merit from God. No takers, eh? No takers. Is that because? You think there's no favor we merit from God? Yes. Uh, punishment for our sins. Okay. Yeah, we merit that, but that's not favor. <laughs> Your kind of favor is punishment, my friend. You are a special human being. <laughs> yes, my. I don't think we merit any favor from God, but yeah, uh, I'm just thinking of he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. <laughs> oh, you merited the. Uh... <laughs> okay, so Mike says there's no favor we merit from God. Are we in agreement? Okay, so what is grace? What is God's grace? It is any favor. Okay. Is any favor we receive from God. And that helps us to understand what spiritual gifts are. Okay? Give me examples of favors you receive from God. Example. Just shout quickly. Sorry? Yeah, salvation. What else? Local church. Uh-huh. 
someone else? Good health. Ah, okay. Finally, someone who's not at all, uh, too spiritual. <laughs> and it's a good thing, okay? Uh, a cup of tea and three mandazi is, is favor from God. Okay? Amen, someone? A wife? Exactly. So, again, what is a spiritual gift? It's the capacity to steward God's grace. What is God's grace? Any favor. Okay? So, a spiritual gift is the capacity to communicate God's favor to anyone. Okay? Now, I might go five minutes overboard. I pray I will not go above that. Let me read for you uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, I want to kill two birds with one stone here. Just listen. You don't have to turn to it. Um, trust that I have a good translation. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready, as I said you will be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you to arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in, at all, in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By the approval of this service, you will glorify God because they, glori they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So, Paul calls um, giving, the ministry of giving, grace, and he calls the capacity to give grace, okay? The capacity, meaning the resources to give, he calls that grace. Okay, I love Justin Peter's ministry. Um, and I love his campaign against the wolves in the charismatic health and wealth gospel camp. One of the things I will disagree with him is that the sowing here is 
referring to sowing the word of God. I don't think it does. Paul is saying this. Okay? Give generously and God will supply your need generously. Sufficient for you to eat and for you to continue giving. That's what he's saying. Okay? So I'll have to agree with the charismatics that sowing here, sowing the seed, is material resources. Okay? And we have to be careful uh, that in our reaction against abuse of the word of God, we do not move to the other side where we deny what God's word says plainly. Okay? And it, unless there's anyone here who is over, who wants to contend. Um, but I think from the context, it's, it's plain that Paul says is referring to material blessings. Now, of course, this scripture has to be balanced with others. We are also promised suffering. In fact, the scripture balances itself. The fact that these believers are giving to others, it means others are not enjoying that state of, you know, they don't have that grace, okay? But these Corinthian believers have that grace. And yet, and yet, let me put it this way. This promise is true, okay? God will enrich us all, both spiritually and materially. Every believer. No, it's just that not everyone will experience that in this life, okay? But God is able, even in this life, to grant the fulfillment of this promise. So that God is able to grant to you to prosper materially in this life as you engage in ministry. Now, this, I said there's two, two birds I wanted to kill with one stone. The first bird I wanted to kill is to disabuse our minds of the fact that spiritual gifts have to do with what I am doing presently here, teaching, okay? Um, <clears throat> spiritual gifts have, as we have defined, is the capacity to communicate any kind of grace to any believer. Whether it's for their spiritual upbuilding or their physical comfort. So don't feel demeaned that you just arrange the chairs or you just clean the hall or you are at the sound. Okay, you're not less significant than the pastor who will preach in the morning. And secondly, I wanted to give the encouragement following from the, uh, the, uh, the exhortation to read our lives of idols. Because ministry will call for our time. And the time that we spend in ministry means time spent away from ourselves and our interests. Okay? And one of our main interests is income generation. Ministry will draw us away from spending time on income generation. In fact, ministry will empty our pockets. Yeah? It will. And we can be anxious how will we survive. So I wanted to conclude today by giving you the encouragement. The Lord will supply your need. Seek first the kingdom of God and the Lord will supply your need. In fact, he will cause you to abound in every way with all sufficiency at all times. You will have enough bread for food and seed for sowing. Okay? Um, again, in our reaction to the health and wealth gospel, we may 
at least I know I have been tempted to go to the side of asceticism, where you think the poorer and more miserable you are, the more godly you are, you know. Um, if you've seen a guy bite into uh, a delicious cake, and he says, man, this cake is so tasty, it's evil, you know, like, it, like, uh, it can't be righteous if it's this tasty, you know, if it's this good. You know, God does bless us with the comforts of wealth. I'm always encouraged that when Jesus was in the boat, it says he, he was resting on a cushion, you know. If it was me, I'd probably have hit the wood for the glory of God. Uh, Jesus wanted the cushion. So it's okay to want a cushion, okay? And it's okay to, to use the cushion, okay? Um, the Lord is able to grant to us to enjoy the comforts of wealth and not just to enjoy them for ourselves, but to enable us to use it uh, in ministry to others, okay? And as you can see from what Paul says, the God's blessing is not just for our food, but to increase also our capacity to continue giving. You know, he increases our standard of living. Uh, 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 he increases our, our material blessing, not just to increase our standard of living, but also to increase our standard of giving, okay? Yeah, so be encouraged, brothers. Um, ministry is, will call for sacrifice. Um, if we are to do ministry in love, it means opening up our lives to people, opening up our homes to people, giving up our time to people, not just slapping them with our activities and, and going off, off with our lives, you know. But let's be encouraged. God is faithful. He will sustain. He will supply for us as we seek to serve him. Okay, um, today you guys did not interact as much. Maybe it's also because I'm feeling very cold and I might have communicated that to you. Uh, hopefully next week you'll be more lively. Yeah, our time is up. Uh, we can ask any questions. If, we go, if you have any questions, any comments, you can ask next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, you teach us your ways and you challenge us, uh, but you also encourage us. You give the command and you give the grace to obey it. And we plead, Lord, that um, even though it's been a cold and dull morning, that we will benefit from your word, from the things we've heard, and be spurred on to love and good deeds. Please hear us, Lord, for the glory and honor of your name. Amen.